Mr. Cheney, are you ready to take the oath? I am. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, James Danforth Quayle. I, Michael Richard Pence. I, Spiro Theodore Agnew. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. do solemnly swear. Welcome to the 13th episode of Running Mates. As always, I'm your host, Lars Emerson, and I am joined by my co-host, Mike Levito. Hello, hello. This is the podcast where we look at every presidential election through the lens of vice presidential picks and talk about who they should have chosen instead. We're almost caught up to the modern day, Mike. This episode, we're talking about the election of 2012 and finally resolving a key question about the future of our nation. Can Mitt Romney's vice presidential pick, Paul Ryan, truly lift more than Barack Obama's vice president, Joe Biden? To set the scene for the 2012 election, after coming to office, Obama and his Democratic supermajority in Congress passed major stimulus legislation to combat the financial crisis and Great Recession, Wall Street reform, and they passed his signature achievement, health care reform, the Affordable Care Act. In 2010, there's been a Republican backlash during the midterms, and the Republicans have retaken the House of Representatives, but the Democratic senatorial majority was large enough to stave off Republican control there. After this midterm, the newly Republican-controlled House chooses John Boehner to become Speaker, who had said before the election of Obama's agenda, quote, we're going to do everything, and I mean everything we can do, to kill it, stop it, slow it down, whatever we can. Boehner and House Republicans stand by their words and demand cuts in government spending and repeal of Obama's signature legislative achievements. This brinkmanship ultimately almost results in a U.S. government default in 2011, in the midst of, remember, a still pretty bad economy. Mm -hmm. By 2012, the economy is still under a slow rebound. Unemployment remains over 8% at the start of 2012, and Obama has met staunch resistance to pushing through desired policies through Congress, whose agenda and stated goals of the Republican leadership is, quote, for President Obama to be a one-term president. That quote, courtesy of Senate Minority Leader at the time, Mitch McConnell. Talk of the role of government, congressional gridlock, Obama's signature triumph in the Affordable Care Act, taxation, and government spending are high on the agenda going into the election year. And boy, do the Republicans smell blood. Speaking of the Republicans, let's talk about their primary. So former Massachusetts governor and 2008 primary candidate Mitt Romney was expected to be the frontrunner for the nomination, but outside of him, the field was pretty wide open, and a lot of candidates jockeying to be the clear conservative alternative, right? People assume Romney's going to win, but there's a sense among more conservative Republicans that, like, is this really the best we can do? Can we get somebody a little better, a little more exciting, a little more right-wing, frankly? Minnesota Congresswoman Michelle Bachman beat Romney at the Ames straw poll. Romney actually had a strict no-straw poll strategy, so he really wasn't trying very hard in the straw polls and didn't really care I about I mean, them. they are useless. They are, <laughs> yes, and it's the reason why they don't really exist anymore. But he did poll as a steady second, but after a gaff-filled campaign, which included wishing Elvis Presley a happy birthday on his death day, she was eventually overtaken for second in the polls by Herman Cain, former chair of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, and, of course, former CEO of Godfather's Pizza. He also did well in the straw polls and went over fiscal conservatives with his 999 plan, that is, a tax plan of 9% for business transactions, 9% for income, and 9% for sales. Kane would eventually suspend his campaign after being accused of sexual harassment during his time as CEO of the National Restaurant Association. The lack of a viable conservative option led to the effective drafting of Texas Governor Rick Perry to the excitement of many, and then of course he started debating. His first debate was so bad at the Weekly Standard, which was like Bill Crystal's publication, very conservative thing, asked if he had a stroke before coming on stage, and in a later debate, when he was listing off the names of what cabinet departments he would cut if he were president, he couldn't name the third. By the way, it was Energy, the current cabinet department he is now secretary of. But he has glasses now, he does, so he's so smarter. He's smarter. <laughs> 
Former Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum would emerge as the socially conservative alternative to Romney, placing first in a very close Iowa caucus. Romney would go on to win New Hampshire, though, and former House Speaker Newt Gingrich would win South Carolina, fracturing the field even further. A Stop Newt movement emerged among conservative pundits and politicians, and the divided conservative vote let Romney win the majority of Super Tuesday states. Santorum dropped out in April after running out of money, and facing only Gingrich and the ever-persistent former Texas Congressman Ron Paul, Romney would go on to sweep the April primaries, making him the presumptive nominee. I was like, very, very close. It's crazy. Very. And initially, I believe Romney was initially called the winner, and then they switched it to Santorum. There was something where the winner was not 100% clear. Because it's not by of. 34 votes. Yeah. 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 On the Democratic side, yeah, you've got incumbent President Barack Obama. He's the only viable candidate, though Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid does talk Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders out of running against Obama in the primaries. That doesn't happen, of course. Obama is handily renominated. All right, let's talk reality. Who was the running mate for each candidate and why? I'll start for Obama. In 2011, when re-election looked dicier, some Obama aides did some polling and focus group testing on whether to switch out Joe Biden for Hillary Clinton, who was serving as Secretary of State at the time, possibly even having the two of them switch jobs so that Clinton would become Vice President and Biden would become Secretary of State. But they decided it didn't offer enough electoral gain for such a major shakeup and it was never entertained by Obama, who was, to quote Obama advisor David Plouffe, the only person that mattered. Many people, including former Vice President Dick Cheney, thought Clinton would or at least should run against Obama in the primary, though she kept saying that she would not, and this rumor of a switch just kind of went on and on. Obama ultimately, of course, kept Joe Biden on the ticket. No big surprise. Romney chooses Wisconsin Congressman Paul Ryan, who had served in the lower chamber since he was elected there in 1998 at the tender age of 28. Only two years older than me. Just think, Lars. I could be a congressman in two years. Just moved to Wisconsin, right? A deficit hawk, Ryan became the ranking Republican member of the House Budget Committee in 2007, and later its chair when the Republicans won control of the chamber in 2011, essentially becoming the face of fiscal conservatism during the Obama years. He even delivered the Republican response to the State of the Union in 2011. He supported Social Security privatization in the mid-2000s, and was a driving force behind the GOP's 2012 and 2013 budget proposals, which were collectively titled The Path to Prosperity. And it called for such conservative positions as raising the Medicare age and turning it into a voucher program, converting Medicaid into block grants and ending the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate, and cuts in income tax. It would pass the Republican-controlled House, but fail the Democratic-controlled Senate. The thing about Paul Ryan is that, like, I feel like his petty shoots are just very boring. Like, they're important, but they're very boring. Like, if you were to ask the average person, like, what it meant to convert Medicaid into block grants, I don't think they would know what that is. Yeah. Anyway. The Romney campaign had selected Ryan from a field of five potential running mates, which also included New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty, Ohio Senator Rob Portman, and Florida Senator Marco Rubio. Apparently, some Romney staffers were pushing hard for Christie to be the choice, but Romney wasn't a big fan. According to Mark Halperin and John Heilman, they said that Romney, quote, marveled at Christie's girth and the way he had, quote, difficulties making his way down the narrow aisle of the campaign bus. <laughs> Christie also wasn't very cooperative during the vetting process and allegedly refused to hand over information regarding his brother's legal troubles and his own physical health. So instead, Romney went with Ryan, who he actually personally liked and thought he'd make a good running mate because he was young, telegenic, Irish, Catholic, and had blue-collar appeal. He also was closer ideologically to the Tea Party and conservatives than Romney, and from a swing state to boot. Ryan became the first member of Generation X and the first person from Wisconsin to be nominated on a major party ticket. I was reading about, like, why Romney ultimately chose Ryan, and there's this, like, apparently people who used to work for Mitt Romney in the private sector were like, he really likes, like, mini-mitts. <laughs> and he saw, like, Paul Ryan as a mini-mitt. Mini <laughs> That's interesting. Which is so cute, right? <laughs> so how much can Paul Ryan lift? 
That, I don't know. Yeah, no one knows. <laughs> a lot, right? So we have two Catholics yes. as VP nominees. That's interesting. We'll come up in the debate, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Rolling into the vice presidential debate, Biden and Ryan had a bit of a tense debate, kind of constantly interrupting each other, smirking and laughing out loud at the perceived crazy things the other had said. You know, going into the debate, Ryan, perhaps perceived as more charismatic and definitely more youthful, people thought he was he would be more energetic and go-getting, but he ultimately came across fairly absent, mechanical, and as Mike puts it, all sizzle, no steak. Mm -hmm. Biden, using those toned debate skills from the Senate, brought the power called Ryan out. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. Biden was much more aggressive than Obama, a through line from the last election where, as we noted, Obama was uncomfortable attacking McCain. So Biden would do a lot of that for him. There's an interesting kind of racial double standard dynamic at work here too that I think is worth noting. Well, this was probably a calculated decision where they were using like Biden's white privilege so as to avoid the appearance of Obama as the angry black man, even though the two were effectively, of course, on the same team saying the same thing. Towards the end of the debate, while Ryan brought his true-to-form economic and budget statistics, like you said, kind of boring, that won him a lot of praise in Congress and with the wonks in Washington, but Biden brought out the more empathetic, passionate, heartfelt side, explaining why he and Obama deserved a second term. I think you could make the argument that the vice presidential debate this year is what introduced Joe Biden to the nation as a democratic force. You know, whereas in 2008's debate between Biden and Palin, Americans were kind of more captivated by the oddity of Sarah Palin. The focus wasn't really Joe Biden. In 2012, Biden came out swinging, and he showed that he could hold his own against a groomed, polished, more young, you know, Paul Ryan. This is something, you know, eight years later where we are now that I think is probably incredibly important. And indeed, most voters did believe that Biden did better during the debate. The general election was always perceived to be close, though Obama pretty consistently pulled ahead, other than a stint in mid-October after Obama's weaker performance in the first debate. However, polling on a state level was a clearer story of Obama being ahead, and, of course, that's where the election is actually decided. Doesn't matter who wins the popular vote. There were two major events that seemed to move the needle the most. One was Hurricane Sandy ravishing the East Coast in late October, a week before the election, which led to renewed appreciation for climate change as an issue to be maybe a little more proactive about. And it took focus away from economic issues, which is where many Americans thought Romney actually had stronger arguments because the economy was not doing very well. It also gave President Obama more visibility as a leader and kind of consoler in chief as he traveled to New Jersey, where our old friend, Republican Governor Chris Christie, even praised Obama's handling of the response. You were from New Jersey at this time. Yes. <laughs> was it true? Yeah, it, well, it was interesting because a lot of people did not like Chris Christie in New Jersey, even though he had just won the gubernatorial election. It was generally, I think, perceived as people disliking John Corzine. Mm. And then people actually started to like him around Hurricane Sandy. And I think his embrace of Obama was kind of... There was like, I remember there's an SNL sketch where it's like Bobby Moynihan's playing Chris Christie. He's like, look, we all know I'd rather vote for Obama than Romney, but I'm going to be like a good party soldier. Which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. I don't know how true that was, but I do think that... You just look at like the way Hurricane Sandy, which like was bad. Like my family was without power for a little bit. You look at like the way that was handled compared to say Hurricane Katrina and completely different levels of just intensity. Yeah. I think there was a general sense that like this was bad, but no one really got the blame for it the way people did in Katrina. So it went about as well as a very devastating national disaster could do, I guess. Yeah. Um, the second thing that put, uh, if not the nail, but a nail in Romney's coffin was a video leaked in mid-September in which Romney was speaking during a $50,000 a plate private fundraiser and remarked that 47% of Americans pay no income tax and are dependent on the government. 
That's actually completely true. Romney was right. It's just probably not a thing you would say. Unless, of course, you're at a private $50,000 plate <laughs> fundraiser where you don't think you're being recorded. Which is a very Mitt Romney way to go down. Yeah. Anyway, and a fun bit of karma on that, that 47% is exactly the vote that Romney <laughs> received on election night, with Obama picking up 51% of the vote and winning, of course, both Romney's Massachusetts and Paul Ryan's Wisconsin. Romney did cut down on Obama's 2008 margins as Obama became the first president since FDR in 1944 to win re-election with fewer electoral votes than his initial victory, as Romney picked up Indiana and North Carolina and Obama made no pickups. This Obama win proved to be a bit devastating for Republicans, who felt so confused, having thought that this was truly a winnable election for them, and they commissioned what was called the Autopsy Report on what went wrong. It described the need for the Republican Party to improve its image with young people, women, and minorities, especially Hispanics, who are a rapidly growing demographic in the country, that they needed to confront why they had lost the popular vote in five out of six of the last elections, and prescribe solutions like presenting their policies with a softer tone, and with a more inclusive appeal. It was, in all candor, a very honest assessment that they put out in 2013, and there is no one better to explain how that went for them than what happens with Paul Ryan. Yeah, so Paul Ryan was able to run simultaneously for vice president and for his House seat, which he handily won re-election to and remained extremely popular among Republicans, very popular among Republicans. How popular, do you ask? Well, when House Speaker John Boehner resigned his position after months of open revolt from the ultra-conservative Freedom Caucus, Ryan was seen as the only man who could unite the Republican Party and was recruited to run for Speaker despite his earlier protestations, being elected in 2015. This effectively made Ryan the most popular and powerful Republican politician during the fraught 2016 presidential primaries and election. Who had been endorsing Donald Trump after the latter won the Republican nomination for president, but stopped actively speaking on his behalf after the leak of the Access Hollywood tape, and even gave Republican congressional candidates the permission to distance themselves from Trump if need be. Of course, Trump ended up winning the presidency, giving Ryan the trifecta he needed to push through his pet projects, including the repeal and replacement of the ACA, passed the House but not the Senate, uh, as well as a tax reform bill. But as Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian interference with the 2016 election got underway and Trump kept acting like Trump, the spotlight began to fade on Ryan and, sensing things were not going to go well for House Republicans, he decided not to run for re-election in 2018. Despite his reputation as a deficit hawk, the Washington Post declared that Ryan's legacy will be marred by dramatically expanded government spending and immense deficits, a GOP president unchecked, a broken immigration system, and a party that's fast abandoning the free trade principles that he himself championed. That tax reform bill he got passed as Speaker, Congressional Budget Office has projected it to add $1.5 trillion to the national debt over the course of 10 years. I don't like how close we're getting to the president. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little creepy. Uh, Paul Ryan's also now on the board of Fox News. Yes, that <laughs> yeah. is true. Do you think we'll see Paul Ryan again? It would have to be like almost like a Nixon situation. Like I think he has to go away for four to eight years. Yeah. If it's going to happen. Right, isn't that currently what's going on? Yeah, I guess so. If the Republicans end up in really bad shape. If... They get shellacked either this year or the next. I think he, he throws his hat in the ring for president. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Speaking of that, as for what happens to Joe Biden, well, after being re-elected vice president in 2012, he was less involved in major decisions in the administration than in his first term, perhaps because President Obama was more comfortable on the job uh, and Biden was more visibly angling for an eventual, shall we say, promotion. A promotion that he initially actually declined to seek in 2016, as in 2015, Biden's son, Beau, 
passed away from cancer, another tragedy for Biden and his family, and Biden felt that he could not give it 110% to seek the presidency, which he felt that it deserved. He has said that he regrets that decision every day, having watched Hillary Clinton, who Biden would have been up against in the 2016 primary, and likely would have lost to, given how she was polling against him in 2014 and 2015, then go on to lose the presidency to Donald Trump in 2016. Three years later, Biden returned with a vengeance, the instant frontrunner for the Democratic nomination in 2020, a primary that was not without its ups and downs, as there were allegations of inappropriate touching, and Biden failed to win any of the first three primaries. In fact, he got fourth and fifth place in the first two, before turning it all around in South Carolina and powering through to becoming the presumptive nominee. Now you're all caught up with the president. <laughs> That's so exciting. Uh, I don't any bold predictions about what's going to happen to Biden now, Mike? Let's we'll save it for two episodes. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> cool. Let's mm -hmm. get to the main part. Mike was asked to come to the table with five alternative picks for Romney's running mate. Since Obama is the incumbent, we will do just two for him, like we've been doing historically. And we'll unpack them. I'll kick us off with the Republican ticket. So my number five for the Republican ticket, someone we've mentioned a few times already, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. So I know now here in the year 2020, we think about Chris Christie and we groan. Mm -hmm. But remember, Mike, because you were from there. In 2012, this guy was the oh, shit. I, I 100 literally, I think minutes after Obama won re-election, I think I posted a Facebook status that said, congratulations to Chris Christie for winning the 2016 presidential election. Literally the next thing I have written down. I was like spilling wisdom right and left. I thought Chris Christie was guaranteed to yeah, be the 2016 yeah. nominee. Because we were both idiots, as it turns well, out. Well, I, I think we were... He ended up, like, say, regressing to the mean, if you will, as far as his behavior went. But yeah. we can unpack that after you're done with your spiel. A real Giuliani. Right. Anyway, in 2012, Chris Christie was the governor of this little state called New Jersey. And before that, he was a U.S. attorney for New Jersey. Like Mitt Romney, he was a moderate governor in a liberal state. Christie, however, was bombastic, tough... And beloved. He could play the attack dog better than Romney could. Kind of how like Biden was supposed to do that for Obama. I kind of think Christie could be that for Romney. <laughs> so Romney and Obama are a little shy. I don't know. Chris Christie would be like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> As governor of New Jersey, he sought to keep budgets on track without raising taxes, was generally successful in doing so. He had mid-50 approval ratings. And then, as we talked about, Superstorm Sandy hit New Jersey, and Christian Obama became the face of a successful relief effort. However, if Romney puts Christie on the ticket, my theory is that plays out a little differently. Mm. Plus, so Romney had wanted Christie to resign as a condition of being offered the spot on the ticket because Christie was governor of New Jersey, and New Jersey is home to a lot of financial corporations that were major donors for Romney, and there were like pay-to-play concerns. Hmm. So Christie would have to resign to be the running mate, which means Christie then avoids, you know, befriending Obama, which makes Romney look really bad. And he avoids the embarrassment that's going to hit Christie in his second term. And I think Romney and Christie can kind of save each other from embarrassment. Romney needs an aggressor. Christie needs like a leg up. This is a good way to like be mutually beneficial. Yes. So obviously I just kind of like was like, oh yeah, I totally thought Chris Christie was going to be president someday. I've actually been in the same room with him twice. I There's this thing called Boy State. Maybe some of our listeners are, are familiar with it, which is essentially like this program for, like, I don't know, like 16 year olds interested in like government and leadership and stuff. And 
It's there's one in each state, right? And the, I believe the governor of each state speaks at each one. And there was like a, a preliminary like orientation event you had to go to based on like whichever county or area you lived in. And Chris Christie actually, I didn't realize this, never moved into Drumthwacket, which is the New Jersey governor mansion. Still lived in Mendham, which is in the same county I'm from for his entire term. And so his son was going to Boys State the same year I was. So he was there just like as a parent at this event. And they're like, oh my God, the governor's here. He's like, yeah, I didn't want to give a speech, but, uh, and it was like very nice. It was like, oh yeah, hey, glad you're all doing this, blah, blah, blah. And then he actually spoke at Boy State itself. And he prefaced it. He was like, look, he's like, there's going to be a Q&A session and you can tell me whatever you think. Just remember that I'm from New Jersey too. <laughs> and said this like tone. So me and the Christies run deep, I guess. Now I'm, I'm gonna so sorry. <laughs> now I'm going to say some mean things about him. For, for the purposes of this exercise, I almost wish the storm had happened like six months earlier, right? I'm it, sure Mitt Romney agrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It happens, I believe, in like October. The week before the election. And I just feel like if you pick Chris Christie before then, he is he's a guy who has become kind of like well known because, you know, he, again, he's a Republican in a liberal state. He was not a tea partier but they the tea party would have been sympathetic with them right where he was fighting you know public employee unions and the teachers union and his whole like i remember him beyond 60 minutes being like look people want money for certain programs and that money just does not exist he was not like a deficit hawk i would say necessarily but he would that that was his whole point was that he usually had a lot of financial problems the Camden police department's been in the news a lot recently as like as a successful like sort of rebuilding of a police department the reason they shut down the police department partly was because it was not working well partly was because like Camden had no money and Chris Christie was involved in sort of like the deal with helping rebuild that. I think Chris Christie is a fine pick. I do think his personality would turn some swing voters off. And think, I, I almost worry about doubling down on the Northeastern Republican thing. How does that work having two of them? Or do you need like a more traditional Republican? Two small-ish Northeastern states on the ticket. I don't know if that makes a ton of sense to me. New Jersey's a big state. Massachusetts is a big state. <laughs> I, but like, I guess like physically, I don't know. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. We can't tell be Wyoming. Sure, but it's like neither Massachusetts nor New Jersey is going to go for Romney. Right, yeah. but I don't think they were going into it assuming they would. Right, With yeah. Paul Ryan, they did think they had a shot at Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. Don't you think Romney could have been more aggressive? I actually think the Romney-Ryan campaign failed to be... Like, this is a good... I want to say this is a good thing. This is how <laughs> politics should be. Yeah. But I think, like, Trump really took advantage of some very dark parts of America right, right. that were very upset with Barack yeah, Obama yeah. and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Do you not feel that Chris Christie could have gone out there and been like, people are, like, dying, <laughs> and, like, America is shit because of what's going on. I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> but that's, like, weirdly never really been his thing. It's like he's never been, like, a doomsayer the way Trump is. Mm. He's more so just been, like, mean. And not, like... Or just, like, combative, I guess. Like, in a more, like, traditional sense. He's not He's not going to be, like, you know, the liberals want to kill you all, right? Yeah. This thing is more so just, this This dude just, like, sucks, and I don't like him. He's just more, like, I guess it's more of, like, an argumentative thing. I could have seen, like, be, be, like, better in the debate, certainly. Yeah. Like, him and Biden scoring off would have been awesome. Right. That would have right, been cool. Right. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. It, we, and we did talk about this off mic, where it's just, like, it's so weird that Mitt Romney was the nominee. Yeah. He, he just, I feel like, has so little in common with like the tea party and this like populist slash astroturf groundswell that like the republicans saw between like 2008 and 2012 so yeah i think there's an argument for it's it, i think it's, it's partly a geographic thing and just it definitely feels like a ploy to win basically people who may have voted for obama vote for christie in new jersey and those people probably also exist in pennsylvania and michigan and wisconsin and those kinds of places 
I don't know. I just think Chris Christie, you're just playing with a little bit of fire whenever you, you yeah. take on Chris Christie. Especially because, yeah. as Bridgegate, I guess, would not have happened if this were the case. Right. We're but, saving Chris Christie um, in this scenario. Right, yeah. <laughs> there, I just think stuff comes out. Well, and that was Romney's problem, right? Yeah. Is he yeah. wouldn't submit to vetting, and there were clearly some things that needed vetted. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's why he's my number five. Okay, fair enough. My number five, I picked Pat Toomey, senator from Pennsylvania, former congressman. He's elected in that landslide Republican victory of 2010, even though they don't take the Senate back. He's I, probably to the right of Christie. He's I, I call him Tea Party adjacent, fiscal conservative. He's actually president of the Club for Growth, so that gives you kind of an idea of his policy priorities and beliefs. Not the most exciting pick, but he is from a swing state, and he seems to be serving what the Republican base wants up to this point in time. He's pro-life, he's a climate change skeptic, he's pro-deregulation, specifically in the banking industry, and he wants a flat tax, but also throws a few bones to the moderates. He actually did support the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell in 2010. Full disclosure, I was initially going to pick Rick Santorum for this spot, and we can talk in the speed round why, but this is more just a thing where it's like, who is a guy who, you know, like I said, is going to throw the Tea Party a bone, and who is, like, not super offensive? How do we get, like... As close to the party as possible without having another Sarah Palin. And yeah. I think Pat Toomey is just like enough of just like he just got elected to the Senate. He's easy, he's easy enough to control and contain that it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I, I think Pat Toomey is a good inoffensive pick from a state that's very important for Republicans. We talk about Pennsylvania like a lot on the mm-hmm. show, certainly in the last like few episodes. It's weird how an election that was perceived to be so close, there are so few actually close states. Mm. Pennsylvania is the fifth closest state, but it goes for Obama by over 5%. Yeah. Like, you're not really going to... You don't have a lot to work with there, mm-hmm. even if you put Toomey on the ticket. I like where you're going. I think it's a good way to, like, bridge the Tea Party and Romney, Romneyites. I do think he's kind of bad at running up margins in easy Republican wins. In that, in 2010, Republican wave year, he just gets 51% of the vote. He, like, barely wins the election. And in 2016, he just barely overperforms Trump in Pennsylvania. He gets less than 50%. Like, he's just not very good, even though he's kind of has the advantage every year. True. It was also a state that had gone for a Democrat every year since 1992. Yeah, but, like, Rick Santorum won it. And then he lost by the largest margin yeah. of an incumbent center since <laughs> yeah. 1980. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree, though. I think. Yeah. It, I, I think that's a fair criticism. I don't have any more. <laughs> All right. So my number four, I went with uh, Kelly Ayotte, a senator from New Hampshire, which she won by a 23% margin in 2010. She's got the conservative credentials. She's staunchly anti-choice. She's pro-death penalty. She likes... She likes her babies alive and her people dead, as I like to say. She's very close with the maverick John McCain. She was once dubbed the number one most influential woman in the GOP. Uh, she serves on the Armed Services Committee. She's made a name on military and veterans issues. I think that's a major weakness of Romney's. He doesn't really have a military thing, nor really does Paul Ryan. Mm. He has no military experience, and he's running against the straight-up commander-in-chief, who's mm. kind of weak on military issues. I think Romney could have made like a play there. Ayotte is also big on tax reform. She become more of a centrist later in her term but at one time she was like a major conservative gain for republicans in the senate during the 2010 midterms she's also not up for re-election in 2012 of course she is like a little new uh which is why she's only a number four here but she did serve as new hampshire's attorney general as well and maybe this hits on a shake washington message which is a stretch <laughs> like we said with pennsylvania new hampshire is also like close and that it is like what the sixth or seventh closest state but it was decided by over five percent for obama but you know unlike pennsylvania evidence suggests that vp nominees have more impact on the ticket in smaller states so try it out 
I was reading articles about why Romney should or should not pick her, and a lot of pundits were concerned that she could be kind of like a Sarah Palin problem, where she was relatively... That she was also a woman? Yeah, well, in that she was <laughs> like a relatively unknown kind of nobody. Right, right, right. Who'd only been in office like two years. But I think she's better known now, and I think people now realize that she carried herself well, and she was not crazy. And I think you can use... You know, once again, we're going with two Northeastern Republicans, but one is like a semi-conservative and mm. the other is a semi-moderate. So you put them together <laughs> and win. <laughs> so I, I guess I didn't pick her for like the same reason you just pointed out that another New England Republican, not much of a natural profile. It was interesting, though. She won her election in the general election for the Senate 60% of the vote. Yeah, it's a and big it, win. Yeah, where like things are like always close to New Hampshire, it yeah. seems. So I guess that's not nothing. Yeah, I, I don't really have much to add. I, I just didn't go for, again, because it, it is the New England thing. But, you know, maybe, I, I do think you're right, and I'll, I'll go back to this in, in my later picks, is this idea of sort of like, you want to capture the excitement that the Republicans felt in 2010. And 60% of the vote in a, in, a, in a purple state is not nothing, and is exciting if you're a Republican. So maybe that helps. It is just yeah, her experience. It's yeah. like you're pairing like a pretty inexperienced person with... But does anyone think that Mitt Romney's inexperienced? I never got that perception. I never did either, but I, I think if, if you're the Obama campaign, you can eventually just be like, this guy has not served an office since 2007, and his running mate now was just elected and was just like the attorney general of New Hampshire for five years. Like, Also, he was a one-term one term governor, Mitt Romney, yes, by the way. Yes. He chose not to run for re-election. Yeah, not which was a good choice. Right. <laughs> which is another thing that makes it weird to me that he, right. everybody thought he should be the Republican. Right. I, I don't really... I think it's probably just because he had a lot of money. But yeah, that, that I, I do think, I, I think you can start to make that argument if you're yeah. the Obama campaign, where it's like, well, there's a guy who's been president for four years and yeah. Joe Biden who's been in the Senate since like- <laughs> For hundreds of years. Yeah, Ford administration and is now vice president. Like, I think that can be an issue. I, yeah. like, I don't think people thought of it, Romney, as an experience, but I think maybe this brings attention to his experience. Ooh. Yeah, I dig that. My number four, I went with Bobby Jindal, governor of Louisiana, former congressman. He was the first Indian American to serve as governor of a state and the second Indian American to serve in the House. He's a true fiscal conservative. He even criticized Bush's 2005 budget because it didn't have enough spending cuts in it. He was a popular governor, too, and he even got the state's S&P bond rating and credit outlook raised from stable to positive and was praised for preventive measures taken during Hurricane Gustav. He even turned down a speaking spot at the 2008 RNC so that he could stay in Louisiana and prepare for the storm. Granted, like, Romney had Louisiana in the bag, so it's not like a geographic pick, but Jindal was popular. He was actually the rare guy to try and be drafted to run for president by a Republican super PAC and to get kudos from Obama. Like, Obama says something along the lines of, like, you know, it was like Louisiana's, like, it was in bad shape, but it's being run by, like, a very smart guy now. Hmm. And Romney actually liked him. There were rumors that he would be Mitt Romney's pick for Secretary of Health and Human Services because he actually did work in HHS, I think, in Bush's first term. He's pretty young in 2012. He was 41. Uh, he's young. He's not a white guy. Like I said, he's Indian-American. And while he's a stalwart fiscal conservative, he is, like, very critical of his party's own rhetoric, right? He does not... He's not a big fan of sort of the, the way the Tea Party says things. And he was very critical of Mitt Romney after the election. He said that Romney's comments about, you know, the 47% of people dependent on the government was like... He, I think his words were like, it makes it sound like we don't like people. And he's like, yeah. we make it sound like Republicans like people, right? Yeah. And, you know, he would run for president in 2016, I think, 
people end up thinking he was kind of like a weirdo <laughs> at some point. But I, I think there's a lot of upside, right? And the good thing about like Louisiana's elections happening in off here is that he has now had four years of experience on the job. He's had a full term, essentially, right? He was elected in 2007, sworn in in 08. So people like him, and he's yeah. pretty popular, and he looks and sounds like the future of the Republican Party. He's very much an autopsy pick, right? Yeah. I think he's what the people who wrote the autopsy were going for. And yeah, I think, it, again, it helps usher in the future of the party. I like that. Autopsy pick. Yeah. We're going to have another one of those. Yeah. So on what you were saying about Kelly Ayotte, and a fair criticism mm. of Christie, too, not really a lot of federal experience. Three years in the House... And, and three years as a bureaucrat in the health and Two years as a bureaucrat. Okay. <laughs> Actually, really less than that, because it was from July 2001 to February 2003. So it was like a year and a half. I, I think that's totally fair, but now I'm going to argue against what I was arguing for. You know, freshness. Okay. A new path. <laughs> okay. When, you know, federal Republicans, they weren't very popular. That's true. Uh, for during this point you know <laughs> so jingle gave a response to the state of the union in 2009 and he was talking about katrina a lot mm. and like apparently pundits on the, in the republican party were like oh my god this is <laughs> terrible he needs to never mention katrina again this is like a thing we don't want to remind people of a thing that's not really an issue in this election but i think could have been made an issue is the Deepwater horizon spill yeah during which Jindal would have been governor, mm. and not really Obama's fault, but it's a crisis that happened in Obama's first term, uh, and everyone kind of forgot about. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could do something there? As like a good thing or a thing for or against Jindal? Against Obama. Yeah. It's like, well, Obama yeah. didn't regulate those oil companies yeah. like he wanted to. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Well, I think there was a sense that, I definitely thought this, but I was also 16 at the time, that people thought that the Deepwater Horizon oil spill was going to be like Obama's Katrina. It never got that bad. As bad it was bad didn't get as bad as Katrina yeah and I don't think left as much of a stain on him but it, it definitely felt like the first big failure or the first big crisis like that he didn't inherit from the Bush administration yeah and I, I think you're right maybe there's a way to pounce that words you make Jindal the he hero of the spill yeah even though he's not really involved in it no, at all no. <laughs> yeah and like I was trying to find stuff on like his response there's not actually like a lot it's just kind of around yeah 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 uh, he's definitely like socially conservative he is. like very socially conservative yeah. which I think you might need a bit if you're Romney. Does that, that hurt or help his... Because Romney was accused of a lot of flip-flopping. Does that hurt or help this? I think it helps, maybe. Maybe it helps get out the vote for socially conservative voters. Do you like, think it, it makes it seem overcompensating? I don't think it does, because I think there's just a lot of other upside to go with Jindal, right? I think... He's not a one-trick pony in that regard. I think maybe if you went with my original number five figure of Rick Santorum, it's certainly overcompensated. Mm. But the, you can say, yeah, he has socially conservative views, but like he also was had a very like economic focused like first term as governor, right? Yeah, and helped them recover from the storm. I, he's kind of like in, in a full package in the sense where he has social views that are compatible with sort of the traditionalist sect of the Republican Party, and also is like a get stuff done, rebuild economy sort of guy. Yeah. Okay. All right. My number three, I went with Marco Rubio, senator from Florida since 2011, former speaker of the Florida State House. Rubio's biggest weakness, and why he's only number three here, is once again his lack of federal experience. It's something that Romney needs. I'm, I'm with you there. Still, Rubio's been senator for two years. 
He's a Latino from Florida, which goes for Obama by less than 1%, and is the closest state in this election. I do think Rubio, as we saw in 2016, and in his State of the Union response video, he stinks as the guy. He stinks as the candidate. He's just kind of robotic and, like, not very likable. Yeah. Even though people were like, he's got everything. It just never really comes to. But I think he does well as, like, a foil to Romney, where, like, he hypes up the big man Mm. while staying out of, like, the petulant squabbles himself. This is another autopsy pick in that he is definitely indicative of what the Republican Party could have been. I also have like an asterisk on Rubio. So (laughs) Rubio has gone back and forth in the year leading up to the running mate consideration in 2012. On this show, Running Mates, Mike and I are excluded from choosing people who said that they explicitly would not do it. We have to operate out of the history we know. In 2011, Rubio did say that he would not be anyone's running mate, but by 2012, when the primary resolved, he was far less clear and, quote, wanted to let the process work out and was then officially vetted by the Romney campaign. We ultimately decided that were Romney to get on his knees and beg, it seemed likely Rubio would say yes, so we're allowing him. Yes. There we go. Marco Rubio. Yeah. That's helpful for me because I'm going to be exposed as a hypocrite right now because Marco Rubio is my number one pick for Mitt Romney. Yeah, see? It kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's capture the excitement of 2010. My thing with the Paul Ryan pick for vice president, it it felt like Mitt Romney going, look, I know you'd really rather vote for this guy for president, (laughs) so let's just say that, like, if I die early... Or if I serve two terms, this guy's next in line. Right. And I think you can maybe capture that same excitement with Marco Rubio. I don't think Marco Rubio is as skilled a politician or orator as Paul Ryan. I don't think he's anywhere close to that. No. But he's not particularly controversial either. And he's geographically and demographically advantageous. Like you said, he is basically what the autopsy writers view as the future Republican. And this gives um, you Florida. Yeah, this would almost yeah, certainly give yeah. you Florida. Um, and again, he, he, he was liked by the Tea Party, right? He defeated the incumbent governor of Florida, Charlie Crist, in the Republican primary for the Senate. Mm. And then Crist ran against him as an independent. So he also has that going for him too, right? He's not like anti-establishment in the way that like Donald Trump is anti-establishment, but he does have sort of credibility when it comes to sort of running against entrenched Republican powers. And if you view Mitt Romney as sort of like the squishy establishment, it helps out Mark Rubio, who's like an insurgent, but not too much of an insurgent. And like a Tea Partier, but not too much of a Tea Partier. He's, he's just like just short of that. Enough to get the Tea Partiers excited, but not enough to alienate the rest of the country. And he's the American dream, right? He's the son of Cuban immigrants. I think his father was a bartender or something like that. And now he's a senator from Florida. It looks and feels like the future of the Republican Party. He's also like a big name in foreign policy. Right. More so now. I think that's another thing Romney needs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get why you'd put him as number one. I just I do think the lack of experience is a liability. And winning Florida isn't enough. Mm-hmm. All right, Marco Rubio. Okay. So, my number three, John Kasich, governor of Ohio and a former congressman from Ohio. So, John Kasich, obvious advantage. He's from Ohio, which is a state that goes for Obama by only 3%, and which Romney really needed to win if he wanted to be president. Your podcast, your reminder that no Republican has ever won the White House without winning Ohio. And Ohio has determined the presidential winner in every election since 1964. He has kind of like a moderate reputation and rhetoric, and I think because most people think of it as in contrast to Donald Trump. It's actually like pretty conservative. Literally, like one of the first things that after he was elected governor was that we need to break the back of organized labor in the public school system, like really going after the teachers union. Oh, right. Um, he's also like pretty conservative from uh, a foreign policy perspective. He voted for the Iraq War with like basically every other Republican, but he was kind of like critical, like lightly critical of the way Obama quote unquote withdrew from Iraq in, in 2011-2012. 
2011. He, like, voted for Doma and things like that. We talked about this on the prior episode because I picked him for Bush. He was kind of on, like, the front lines in the Republican Revolution against Clinton. I believe he was chair of the House Budget Committee. I think, you know, despite having pretty conservative views, he's generally inoffensive and comes up... I think he's maybe, like, a little more... Just, like, a scotch more right-wing than Mitt Romney, right? And I think they... I think he's way more conservative than Mitt Romney. Okay, maybe. He's more conservative than Romney, but he comes off as more, like, normal than Romney... Yes. I feel like Ro- yeah. like Romney has this problem where he's he's like a robot and he was kind of like made in a factory that like prints out millionaires <laughs> and he just kind of looks like a millionaire who can't like relate to the the normal person. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like John Kasich kind of like sounds and talks just like more of a normal dude. Yeah. And I think that that, that more personal touch. Ohio is a more down to earth state. Yeah. John Kasich is my number 2, so that's a good transition. Yeah, just a very close state. It was always the Romney campaign's gold. He had to win Ohio. Yeah, like you said, he was chair of the House Budget Committee before it was cool, before Paul Ryan got in there. <laughs> yeah, I do. I remember. So John Kasich, of course, will run for the Republican presidential nomination in 2016. And it, the race eventually boiled down to Donald Trump versus Texas Senator Ted Cruz <laughs> and John Kasich. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like the world started being like, oh, my God, it has to be John Kasich. Because yeah. Ted Cruz <laughs> is something not from this earth. <laughs> and Donald Trump is him mm-hmm. and like there was a lot of backlash from people and it was like you realize John Kasich is like also right. incredibly conservative yeah. yeah he just looks moderate it's like an Overton Didn't, window problem he said that he, he would create a department of like Judeo-Christian values or something like oh, that oh really okay <laughs> alright yeah so like that's pretty conservative yeah still like you said maybe Romney maybe Romney needs that having the freaking governor of Ohio on your ticket probably a good move mm-hmm. he's also you know he's a prominent congressman that helps Romney with his federal issues just seems kind of like a no-brainer yeah he's got kind of everything that romney needs federal experience economic credentials conservative credentials from ohio yeah boom all right so i guess it means we go to my number two pick which is rob portman senator from ohio <laughs> wow weird that state showed up twice uh, he's also the former United States Trade Representative and the former Director of the Office of Management and Budget. I almost called him Officer of Management and Budget. Be a way better title for that position. <laughs> he served in both those positions under George W. Bush. Before that, he was Representative from Ohio and uh, White House Director of Legislative Affairs for George H.W. Bush. Just oodles and oodles and oodles of federal experience, foreign policy experience, as well as fiscal experience. And again, he's from Ohio. He's kind of boring, but he's harmless. He's sufficiently conservative and like an agitator for a balanced budget. Like Apparently, he left the Bush administration because he thought they were spending too much money, which they were spending a lot of money. They were. But he was like very much like, we need a balanced budget. And they're like, no, war. And <laughs> he just kind of didn't feel comfortable with that. While basically every other Republican in the country kind of turned a blind eye to it. Also known for bipartisan efforts, he, he had a good reputation among his fellow, his Democratic colleagues. And he's apparently a really, really good fundraiser. Not that Romney needs a lot more money, but also never hurts on the campaign trail. Portman, you know, rule of do no harm. And from a, a good state and with a lot, a lot, a lot of the federal experience. He's just like a solid VP pick. Yes. He is my number one pick for a lot of the reasons, like you said. Romney needs an experienced hand, even though you don't really think he does. And I think Portman is just like one of the most experienced guys there in terms of working across Congress and the White House, just the federal government at large. 
He's got the foreign policy experience as USTR. He's just like a more experienced, international, and competitive Paul Ryan. He's got an emphasis on those same like budget and economic issues as Ryan, so you can hit Obama on the issue that voters thought Obama was weakest on, while still being from Ohio. The reason I have him one step above Kasich and is my number one is I think just the foreign policy experience and when in doubt, go with a senator for vice president. It just mm-hmm. seems like a better move. Yeah. Especially if you're Romney, I think you want someone on the federal government. Rob Portman's really good and People talk about him as a vice presidential candidate all the time Mm -hmm. for a reason. Yeah. Any more on Rob Portman? Not really. All right, you're number one, Mike. My number one was Marco Rubio. That's right. Any more on Marco Rubio? (laughs) No, I I don't think so. All right. Mitt Romney, give us a call. Yeah. All right. As for trends for Romney, kind of like we were saying, almost entirely federal people, you know, Jindal and Christie were probably the two least, but they did have some Mm. federal experience. What about ideological? How do we feel? Does Romney need someone kind of more like him? Or like, does he need, kind of like you were saying, a more social conservative Tea Partier. Yes, that one. That one? Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I, just, I just think that, it's not why he lost the election, mm. but I think that is a problem and I think it would energize his the Republican base a bit more. I think Mitt Romney, I just think, is in many ways out of touch with the Republican base. I think certainly now. Ways, <laughs> certainly now. I think in some ways is a good thing, actually. You know, I think that he was like, maybe I shouldn't just play to what the people want and like make decisions based on myself. But it's like, there, you know, you, academics like to think of the Republican Party, the modern Republican Party is sort of made up as like sort of like three constituent groups where you have free marketers, neoconservatives who are like aggressive on foreign policy, and then traditionalists. Neoconservatives not in vogue right now. People yeah. aren't really fans of them, but the traditionalists are kind of making a push with the Tea Party, and they're kind of blending traditionalism and free marketeering, if you will, in, in the Tea Party, and I think Romney needs someone who speaks to that sector of the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think almost all of my picks were more conservative than he mm-hmm. was, except maybe Christie. So I think I agree. Mm-hmm. Cool. As for who Romney actually considered, like you said, the final five were New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, former Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty, Ohio Senator Rob Portman, Florida Senator Marco Rubio, and of course Paul Ryan. So we should have been advising. Right. We would have given basically yeah. the same pick. The only person from that list we didn't pick, aside from Paul Ryan, of course, was Tim Pawlenty. Because he's just a governor. I can't, I couldn't justify it. Okay. It just, it never happens. Right. You can't have a governor, governor, take it. Okay. Also, Teapot broke that bridge. <laughs> we talked about it last yeah, episode. Yeah. I don't know. He would have been better better in 2008. I agree. And I just re- the more I like read about him, the more I was like, it seems like people didn't like him that much. Like, yeah, he also like, was not very good at speaking, it yeah, seems. Yeah. Not, not great. Not great. Mm-hmm. All right, let's quickly do the Democratic ticket. If you want to kick us off there. Sure. So my number two pick, I went with Tom Vilsack, Secretary of Agriculture, former governor of Ohio. We both picked him on some level last episode. We did. You had him as number four for Obama, and I had him as number five. Yeah. I guess my thought here is that, like, I think if you're going to replace your vice president, it actually helps to pick someone from within the administration. And aside from the number one pick, who we have the same person of spoiler alert, I think the only one that made sense to me was Tom Vilsack, because he would have made sense, I think, in 2008. And also, rural states can become very important in the next four years. So why not pick a guy from a rural state who's worked on agricultural issues for the past four years, have him lend both his image and his expertise? He's also just like a super likable guy. Mm-hmm. Everyone seems to really like Tom Vilsack. He was the longest serving cabinet member under the Obama administration. He's the only one who served almost the full two terms. <laughs> 
Apparently he was so bored that he like tried to resign to Obama in 2015 and he said, this was his quote, he said, there are days when I have literally nothing to do. <laughs> so he tried to resign from Secretary of Agriculture. So Obama was like, okay, can you look into like opioid problems? Which was, I don't know, that was kind of ahead of its yeah. time, but it seems like he was just trying to give Tom Vilsack something to do because he wanted to hang on to it. It was, mm, it was nice. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Vilsack's good. I love Tom Vilsack. Great okay. choice. All right. My number two, I went with Amy Klobuchar, senator from Minnesota since 2007. If you're looking for kind of a newer generation, even though she's older than Obama, kind of Midwestern woman, which, hey, maybe in 2016, 2020 you are, I think Klobuchar is just a good person to elevate, especially with what we'll see in the latter half of the 2010s. Super electable. Minnesotans love to elect her. Minnesota is also going to become an incredibly close state. Donald Trump almost wins it in 2016. If you're looking for, like, an electability-minded candidate, elevate elevate a strong woman on the ticket. Put her in the spotlight. Yeah, I also think that, I feel like, Amy Klobuchar kind of had a problem in this primary year because it became, like, evidently clear that she was in the list of, like, potential nominees for the Democratic nomination. Her, like, charisma level was, like, way lower than a lot of the other people. Mm. And so if you're setting her up to run in the future, like, maybe you have her hone that skill mm. in a position that's pretty ceremonial yeah and pair her with like a likable person like barack obama maybe he has some tips on being a better public speaker speaking of someone who we'd want to have be more charismatic in a very ceremonial position and who is also a woman who we want to elevate to elected <laughs> office in later years kick us off with number one mike so i went with hillary clinton secretary of state former senator from new york and first lady the obvious choice, of course. Obama's clear successor, sure, takes her out in an arguably more important position, but it also puts her in a position that'll take less heat and might be softer on her image as she prepares to run in 2016. Of course, she has not is not officially running in 2016 yet, but she absolutely <laughs> is going to. It's a ticket I imagine many in the Democratic base were clamoring for, right? I think many were probably clamoring for her in 2008. It is the two most recognizable and probably most popular, but at the same time most hated Democrats in the country. They have been like consistently rated the most admired man, admired woman right. in the United States for years. Yes. Yeah. And it, it just makes sense. The Democratic super team make, make history together. The first presidential ticket for a major part of a single white man on it. That's true. You know? She's also, she's done as Secretary of State. She's only going to be there the one term. This kind of makes sense. Yeah, she's also my number one. You know, Obama did the classy thing. He made her the Secretary of State after that brutal primary. You know, now really, really unite the Democrats. We'll appeal to those working women who got you so far. Go big for the history books. Folks on his staff had floated her. It gives her more of a, to use your word, avuncular role going the, into the 2016. The female equivalent to avuncular is actually maternal. Maternal. It's like, yeah, ceremonial. It's a position people like to the vice president. It's a person that's not very controversial, unless you're Spiro Agnew or Dick Cheney. You just get to kind of be the, a guy that everyone kind of is okay with and likes, or in this case, a woman, as opposed to being like a bureaucrat running the secretive state department, right? You know, make America fall in love with her again. In 2012, Hillary Clinton had a 66% approval rating in this nation. Like, <laughs> come on. And then, yeah, you, you you don't you avoid all the drama of making Joe Biden Secretary of State. That's cool, too. Yeah. He's qualified for that. He'd probably be up to it, maybe. You make the entire trio happy, and you, you get what you want. Yeah. As for trends there, still all federal. That's interesting. We couldn't really find any governors. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't yeah. very good. As for who Obama actually considered... Like we said, he stuck by his man, but some aides floated Hillary Clinton when things looked dicier in 2011. All right, speed round. What, who you got, Mike? All right, so I did think for the Democrats, I was briefly thinking of Brian Schweitzer, who was the governor of Montana. Because, hey, he was a pretty, like, avowed progressive who won in a very Republican state. 
more read about him, just kind of like the kind of like doofier he seems. He got in trouble for saying that Eric Cantor set off his quote, gaydar. And also basically compared Diane Feinstein to a prostitute. This is all years later. Like this is 2014 when he was trying to run for Senate. And also he held an event where instead of signing his vetoes on bills, he stuck a branding iron in a fire and then branded the bills. And I was also thinking briefly two other two other federal people. One was uh, Hilda Solis, Obama's first uh, mm. Secretary of Labor, because she ended up like she more interested in like a uh, local career and actually is now a county supervisor for Los Angeles. And then I was also thinking of Kathleen Sebelius, mm. but of course she would, oh. who's Secretary of Health and Human Services, would kind of become one of the faces of the failed ACA website rollout. Yeah, but I guess that's after the. It is. And also just, like, the face of the ACA in general, and maybe that's not an issue you want to, like, harp on. Yeah. All right. For Obama, I wrote down Linda Sanchez, progressive Hispanic congresswoman from California. Like, if you wanted to be really bold. I also wrote down uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Florida congresswoman, Jewish. These are two things Obama needs, Florida and Jewish voters. He also did name her DNC chair, so there's something there. For Republican, look, Romney, if your main goal is to find a guy who can lift the most, <laughs> choose The Rock or at least Jesse Ventura, right? <laughs> They could snap Paul Ryan like a twig. But I was, I was thinking, <laughs> if we want to get, like, really bizarre with this, if we want to take this to its extreme, how can you play 4D chess with Romney to elevate someone who can run in 2016 that can, like, clear out the field and not make Donald Trump the nominee? Like, he tried to do with Ryan, but then Ryan became speaker. Who can you choose instead? Ted Cruz? Really? I don't know. Who do you choose that, like... Oh, so this is, like, an actual question? Yeah. It's like, who can you choose <laughs> that's gonna run in 2016 that can stop this? I don't know. I, I I don't know that you... I Maybe guess, Bobby Jindal. Maybe Chris Christie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my number five pick was going to be Rick Santorum, as I alluded to earlier. I'll put him in the speed round now. I went with him because he was kind of crazy, and there was clearly four years later on market for crazy. So hindsight being 2020, maybe it actually would have helped Romney to pick Rick Santorum. I don't know. Santorum's a wackadoo. Mm-hmm. I once held the bathroom door open for Rick Santorum <laughs> in the Senate office buildings, and he did not say thank you. So, anyway, in conclusion, <laughs> if you could change the running mate for the two candidates, would you, Mike? I certainly would not for Barack Obama, because I don't think switching out an incumbent vice president is ever a good idea. No. Uh, for Mitt Romney, I actually don't think I would. I think Paul Ryan is a fine pick. Like I said, it's kind of the, hey, I know you really want to vote for this guy instead, so let me put him on the ticket. I think he just wanted, like, the most popular Republican who also happened to be from a swing state. And I don't know that really any of the other people we picked would have necessarily been better or would have, like, significantly, significantly helped Romney in the election, more so than Paul Ryan. I think Paul Ryan's good if he doesn't become Speaker. If he could run for president in 2016, Mm -hmm. that would have been good. Yeah. No one was expecting to be Speaker at this point. No. I know, uh, but we're dealing. If we're dealing with hindsight, that's what's complicated. Yeah. I still think I probably would have gone with the Ohio boys, as I'm mm-hmm. calling them, Kasich and Portman. I just think putting those two up, and yeah, like I said, playing some some 40 chess, make Kasich like the presumptive nominee going into 2016, just seems like a very logical mm-hmm. thing to do. But yeah, I, I agree. Ryan's not terrible, and it worked out for him. He got to become speaker and then leave. Yeah. Cool. All right. That's our show. You can find us everywhere that podcasts are found. Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. 
And you can find all of our works on thepostwriter.com, including our Running Mates portal for all vice presidency-related content. In the meantime, I've been Lars Emerson. And I'm Mike Levito. And we will catch you in our next, but not quite last episode, an election I'm sure we're all anxious to relive, the 2016 election between Hillary Clinton's Tim Kaine and Donald Trump's Mike Pence. Mike Pence.